0: So starting in verse 9 in chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And then chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil.
1: Well, good afternoon, everyone. It is uh, good to be together. For those who are new, my name is Tim Shorey. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to open God's word at this time. Let's pray. Father, would you please come and speak to us by the power of your spirit through your inspired, unerring, authoritative word, I pray. Give grace to proclaim your truth and to hear it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are interrupting our regularly scheduled sermon series uh, to bring you this special Risen Hope presentation. The first of two messages called Faith and Flag, in which we're going to explore the relationship that we as believers have to politics, to national and cultural allegiances, and our relationships with one another with all of our varying perspectives as those who are citizens of heaven, and sojourners on earth at the same time. Today's, today's message is called Faith and Flag Prioritizing Unity in a Polarizing World. Prioritizing Unity in a Polarizing World. Let me give you a little background to this letter that was just read, First Peter. It was written by the apostle by that name, whom as many would know was one of the early followers of Christ who later became a well-known leader and pastor. Peter wrote this letter, you'll notice in chapter 1 and verse 1, to a group of Christian exiles. These exiles were people who, either because of some literal banishment from their homeland uh, or because of their faith, which had made them citizens of heaven and sojourners on earth, and therefore wanderers and in exile with no place to call home. Peter wrote this letter to them who were scattered, he says, in chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. They were scattered... Throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, if you know your geography of ancient world, uh, that's the northeast end of the Mediterranean Sea. These were regions that were at the crossroads of many nations and peoples, and so they were this region was known for its diversity. In fact, you, you might call it the Upper Darby type area of the ancient. World. There was a hodgepodge of Jews and Greeks and Romans and educated and illiterate and rich and poor and free and slave. All of them with their own set of allegiances had come to faith in Christ, but they brought with them their own set of allegiances, preferences, and political points of view, complete with class and color and culture distinctions. And this letter was written to these people during, if you know your ancient history, during the reign of Emperor Nero. Nero was widely recognized as one of the most corrupt, perverse, egomaniacal, brutal emperor dictators of all time and was known, at least at different times, to have turned his brutality onto the christians he is was a ruler and here this he was a ruler who would make all of our current rulers and presidents and politicians look like choir boys and girl scouts he was a brutal dictator you may remember from world history class the great fire of rome in 64 ad which would have been just a year or two after Peter wrote this letter, Nero blamed that fire on the Christians with no evidence whatsoever, and as the result of that, in the words of one report, Christians were seized and tortured, then torn to pieces by dogs, crucified and burned alive, and used as human torches at night. Peter writes to these believers in that world and in that context. And so First Peter is written to instruct us and to comfort us who are the people of God, who live in political and cultural times where there is great oppression, where there is great attack, where there is persecution. This letter answers the question for us, brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, those who are disciples of Christ, if you're following Him, learning from Him, imitating Christ. This letter answers the question, how do we live? How does Jesus want us to live when country and nation and culture have all gone off the rails? When injustice, oppression, and abuse of power are the norm. And when Christians, those who are worshipping God, are coming from all different kinds of cultural and historical backgrounds into church, just like here, worshipping together. They didn't have pews back then, but worshipping in the same pews, though they had vastly different perspectives on the world. That's the time, that's the culture, that's the circumstance into which Peter writes this letter. So, you can understand, I trust, why we as pastors believe this might be a good letter to look at right now in our moment of history here in the United States of America. We are living in a time of severe turmoil in which political ideologies and animosities have risen to great heights. For all kinds of reasons, we are a politically polarized society. And it feels, it feels like it's hurtling toward some kind of hate-filled and perhaps even violent end. In fact, we have already seen that there are people on both ends of the right-left spectrum who are angry enough to turn violent. And we have people right here in this room who are not angry enough to turn violent but are concerned and burdened and perhaps fearful. We have people sitting in the same pew who stand on opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to politics and the rest. We pastors thank God for His grace in your life. Brothers and sisters, uh, God has kept us together. It's, a, it's an amazing display of the kindness and the mercy of God that's been poured into your hearts, into our lives. We thank God, for the unity. We thank God for the spirit of love that exists here despite all of our many differences. And we believe that God's word can reinforce that. God's word can strengthen that. God can give us even deeper peace and continued peace. God, we are confident that God is going to hold us together. But we also believe that he's going to hold us together as we embrace the truth together. And so we must learn from God what it is that he has for us so that we can stay united in the body of Christ. So from this letter, 1 Peter, over these two weeks, I'm going to give four charges that I believe are found in 1st Peter in order to help shepherd us all through this season, this political season, this election season that is heating up big time these are four charges that I believe can help keep us together. Number one is going to be focus on agreement. Focus on agreement. Number two, avoid all slander. Number three, Assume you are wrong, and number four, pledge your allegiance to Christ over country. So number one, focus on agreement, two, avoid all slander, three, assume you are wrong, and four, pledge your allegiance to Christ. So let's begin. Somehow we're going to get through those in two messages, I hope. I want to begin with this. Focus on agreement. Did you notice 1 Peter 3 and verse 8? You want to keep your Bibles open uh, and make sure that you're following along in Scripture so that you see this is not me talking so much as God talking through His Word. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, And a humble mind. I mean, look at that verse again. Have unity of mind. Peter says to the diverse people in these churches, these exiles that were scattered around, he said, have unity of mind. Though they came from all different kind of backgrounds and all different kind of cultures, have unity of mind. And Peter doesn't say, except when it comes to politics. He says, have unity of mind. Literally be one-minded. Know where you agree and keep your minds focused on what you agree on. Given the vastly different ways that Christians view politics and political candidates, we need to work really hard at this. This is not easy. This is hard labors of love to have unity of mind. Let's let's do some practice here on this. Let's, let's see some things that we all agree on and see if we can amend them together. All right? For example, I assume, I assume we can all amen this. We believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of Heaven and Earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Can you say amen to that? Amen. amen. Exactly. Amen. Good. Let's try another one. We agree that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, an eternal mystery of divine unity in plurality. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. We agree next that Jesus Christ who is God the Son in the flesh, offered Himself as an atoning sacrifice to take away God's wrath over our sins. Amen? Amen. Amen. We agree that we are forgiven by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. Amen? Amen. Amen. A little louder, please. We agree That Jesus rose again on the third day and lives today in the highest heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. 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 We agree that King Jesus will reign until every one of His enemies has bowed the knee to Him and confessed that He is Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. By the way, if you just agreed to all of those things by historical definition, you are an evangelical. Those are the convictions, those are the beliefs that evangelicals hold. In our day, sadly, the word evangelical has been co-opted by the media and now instead of referring to those who hold to these core truths of the faith, Evangelical equals white conservative. Uh, It's a sad loss for us. It's a beautiful word, evangelical, but we may have to find another one. Because as I look around, I'm not just looking at white conservatives here. I'm looking at folks of every shade and color who believe these things from their hearts. You've done well. We've agreed on all these things. Beautiful. Now based on some pretty basic Bible knowledge, I think we probably agree on a few more things. Let me me go through these. We agree in our opposition to gun violence against the innocent, amen? I would check your heart if you don't agree with that one. We agree in our opposition to gun violence against the innocent no true disciple of Christ could ever disagree with that. However, we might disagree on how best to reduce gun violence against the innocent. Right? We agree in our opposition to gun violence against the innocent. We can debate how best to do that. Let's focus first on where we agree, and then with respect and honor and affection and brotherly love, talk about the other things. Let me give you another example. We agree that we should care about the environment and that humanity as image of God should rule over nature with wisdom and care. And should not trash God's glorious creation. Amen? Amen? Amen. However, some Christians think we ought to approach the environment issue this way. Other Christians believe we ought to approach it that way. But let's focus on the fact that we agree in heart about the environment or we agree that all human life is made in God's image and so is precious from the womb to the tomb and should be protected and valued at every stage since it is sacred in the sight of God amen Amen. but do we agree on the best way to do that no not always and it's open for discussion and debate and learning from each other. But let's understand where we agree. Next, we agree that every boy or man that gets a girl or woman pregnant should be required to provide for that woman and child for the duration. And if he doesn't, he should be held accountable for it. Amen? Now, we might disagree on how best to legislate and enforce that, but surely we can agree on that. We believe that the Bible explicitly states, what the Bible explicitly states, that government and those who rule are his servants to do us good. Amen? A little quieter on that one. little quieter understandably understandably because we live in a world where governments are corrupt and oppressive and yet and yet our world is no different than the world of the New Testament and what Paul said to the Romans For example, in Romans 13, stays true today. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. That's the word of God. Or what about what Peter has said in what was read earlier, chapter 2 of 1 Peter? Verse 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. Now, I know all the questions. I don't know all the questions. Many of the questions that are just you know, racing through your mind, practically short-circuiting all the brain circuits there. What about this? What about that? What about the other thing? Where we can agree is that God has ordained government. And God has put into place those who are rulers, even the Nero's even the nero's remember peter wrote this to believers during nero's reign even the nero's are god's servant for his purposes government is not bad government is god's idea it's god's idea however some christians believe that government should be really small and just do bare minimum stuff and other Christians believe that government is intended to be bigger and to do more in behalf of citizens we can debate those things but let's at least agree that government is good because government is ordained by God what am I getting at in all this what I'm getting at is this that Though there is much that we might disagree on, there is even more, there are deeper things that we do agree on, and unity depends on focusing on what we agree on. And if we focus on what we agree on, that will create in us a respect that will create within us an openness of mind to hear others so that we might move forward together, even if we keep disagreeing. Focus on what we agree on. You know, one of the reasons why we find the idea, we as your pastors, and a number of folks within our church, one of the reasons we find the idea of a hope resource center or community center such an appealing idea is that it would allow us to unify and focus actions in behalf of our community and behalf of people, even though we might disagree on politics. We'd be able to join hands and join hearts in serving our community and addressing needs in our community. Uh, Even while some might vote to the right and some might vote to the left, but when it comes to action, when it comes to love, when it comes to service, we're walking side by side with each other. We believe there could be a unifying effect something like the Resource Center. That's one reason why it appeals to us. And the idea is still very much in our minds as we move forward together. Focus on agreement. I have to hurry here. Number two, avoid all slander. Avoid all slander. 1 Peter 2 and verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Folks, in times of political unrest and injustice, notice what Peter warns us about. Sins of the tongue. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Malice refers to evil intent to harm and ruin others. It's an angry, vindictive, attacking out to destroy others. Deceit, you know what that is. It refers to anything that hides the truth or deceives others. Any words we do not know to be true that we do not know to be accurate, that we do not know to be honest are forbidden. Slander refers to any speech or rumors that defame or disrespect or despise other people, no matter who it is or how evil they may be. Even Negros are not to be viewed with malice, are not to be lied about or slandered. It's not to say that we can never speak out against sin or evil or injustice. But it is to say that how we speak matters and that we make sure that we have all the facts before we do. This, this is, brothers and sisters, this is the word of caution and admonition and exhortation that needs to be sent out far and wide in our time. Um, Slander is running rampant. Unsubstantiated reports and rumors in all directions. Accusations against everybody that are not fully substantiated, that are not true, that are full of malice. Peter says in the midst of a politically volatile situation, no slander. No slander no malice now how do you how do you avoid that um can i can i suggest three things quickly uh, check your sources change your platforms chuck your attitudes all right check your sources change your platforms chuck your attitudes change your sources we must not believe what we read in the news or on the internet, internet unless it is proven beyond doubt just because you see a video clip of a politician saying something that is not proof that that is actually what he meant unless you have heard everything surrounding what that clip was You don't know for sure. You need to know context and the person's overall perspectives. What he or she has said in other contexts that might balance what he or she said in that 10 second sound bite. Check your sources. We must realize that our sources are biased. You never read anything about anyone that doesn't come with some kind of bias. And if you're going to avoid slander, you're going to have to read perspectives from both sides of an issue that are articulated well by people on both sides of the issue. If you're going to watch Fox News, watch CNN too. If you're going to watch CNN, watch Fox. If you're going to read War on Cops, then read The New Jim Crow, or vice versa. In short, make sure to read or watch perspectives that are different from your own, if you want to check your sources and avoid slander, We must realize, brothers and sisters, that the media, both the liberal and the conservative media, as well as most social media, largely if not overwhelmingly non-Christians and they have no code of biblical ethics in how they report and they will be espousing a secular at least immature world view be careful we need to know that we're being deceived we need to know the difference between an objective journalist and talking pundits and deceiving propaganda. If there's a lot of heat but no light, turn it off. If your main news sources have virtually nothing but good to say about your guys, and virtually nothing but bad to say about the other guys, you're being brainwashed. If your new sources paint others as having accomplished nothing good and as being evil incarnate, you're being duped. Because the reality is that there is good and bad on both sides. And if you're being duped, then if you share what you've watched or you've heard, you're slandering. You're bearing false witness against others. We must check our sources. We must change our platforms. What I mean by that is, primarily, don't do politics on social media. Don't do it on Facebook. If you're going to do it, do it with balance, do it with respect, do it with nuance, do it with great, great, great care. The problem with social media Politicking is it gives us just enough time and space to to have angry outbursts, but not enough time and space for reasoned conversation and respectful discussion. Choose better platforms. If you want to talk politics with somebody who disagrees with you, invite them to a cup of coffee, sit over, sit at a table, and honestly and humbly and respectfully say, hey. I think this way, you think that way. Can we talk? I want to learn. I want to learn. And then third, don't just check your sources and change your platforms. Chuck your attitudes. The attitude of disrespect. There's, there's, I think, eight times in chapters 2 and 3 of 1 Peter that the words honor and respect are used. Because... No matter what the situation, no matter what the conflict, no matter what the disagreement, we must always show honor to one another. Do you know why? Because we have all been made, what? In the image of God. And because we've been made in the image of God, that means every human being you ever talk to, including the next Nero, is made in the image of God and therefore is because of that been given reason to be respected to be honored not agreed with not necess- not not protected not not kept from consequences of bad behavior not saying that but honor Honor. We, of all people, we've read it in the text, and we'll get back to it next week, but did you notice when Katie was reading from chapter 2, we are to honor everybody and honor the emperor, the emperor. Nero, honor him. Whoa. Wow. That's hard, huh? We've all got somebody in our Mind's eye right now that we're thinking of and we're saying, I'm not sure I could honor him or her. Uh, But there is grace. There is grace for this, dear ones. God can give us grace to avoid all slander, to change and chuck our bad attitudes, and to walk in humility with others. And then third, assume you are wrong. Assume you are wrong. 1 Peter 3 and verse 8, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. A humble mind. That's the key phrase here. This is the opposite of cockiness and self-assured, opinionated, I'm right and you're wrong. This is the opposite of what the Proverbs calls the fool, those who are wise in their own eyes. It's the opposite of those who say, I have a right to my opinion, even when my opinion is neither informed, nor studied, nor balanced, nor nuanced, nor careful to consider all sides of perspectives. Oh, my friends, you don't have a right to an opinion unless your opinion is informed. Otherwise, you and I are just spewing our ignorance and sharing it around. We have to be humble in mind. It's a humility that assumes that it is at least partly wrong. It's at least partly wrong. If you need a refresher on that, go back to our communication series several months ago and hear that in all disagreements, as in all disagreements, so in all political debates, we should always assume we are at least partly wrong and have something to learn. Through the, through the years, I, I don't know how many political debates and discussions and conversations I've been in, but every one of them, I'm pretty confident I've learned something. And my perspective, and my attitude, and my opinion has been reshaped, at least in part. It has been kept in check. It's been nuanced, at least in part, because others have something to offer as well. So Peter has taught us, focus on agreement, avoid all slander, and assume we are wrong. And the fourth charge that God gives us through Peter is that we must pledge our allegiance, pledge our allegiance. We're going to get into this in depth next week, uh, but just look at 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. But you, 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 you who are in and from many countries, Peter says, and many cultures and many backgrounds and many persuasions, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Paul earlier told us about his trip to Israel about meeting believers from all over the world. Many peoples one holy nation many ethnicities, one chosen race, one royal priesthood, one cherished possession, and it's not American, it's not Jamaican, it's not Indian, it's not Asian, or African, or European, or Central or South American alone. It is a heavenly nation, it is God's chosen nation, God's holy race made up of people from all over the world, and those who are disciples of Christ are joined together as one nation, sojourners and pilgrims on this planet, but we have a citizenship. We have a citizenship that others don't have. Yeah, we're pilgrims and we wander and sometimes it feels like we're not sure. Well, we know we're not home yet. We know we're not home yet. But we know we're going home. And the old song that I sang growing up, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. I'm, I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I pledge allegiance to Jesus. I pledge allegiance to the high king of heaven. And we all belong to Jesus. We are not of this world. We are not for this world. We are not primarily American or Republican or Democrat or Independent or English or Black or White or Brown or Blue. All other allegiances must submit to this allegiance to King Jesus. All other loyalties must yield to this one. All other alliances must yield to this one. We belong to Jesus Christ. We belong to Him together. Side by side, we sing, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Side by side, we pledge allegiance to the King. We must focus on agreement. We must avoid all slander. We must assume we're wrong. And we must pledge allegiance to Jesus. I want you to look at one more text and then I'll be done. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world and after you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. To Him be the dominion. Dominion. What does that mean? It means that whoever's on the throne now, whoever's in the White House now, whoever's in power now, will not be in power tomorrow. It means that those in dominion now will soon not be in dominion. It means that there is only one king over all kings. There is only one Lord over all lords. His name is not Donald Trump. His name is not Nancy Pelosi. His name is not Bernie Sanders or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Kim Jong-un. His name is Jesus. There is but one King. And we are His holy nation. We are His chosen and cherished people. It means that this is my father's world so let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong god is the ruler yet this is my father's world the battle is not done the battle is not done Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. This this means that we must crown Him the Lord of years, the potentate of time, creator of the rolling spheres ineffably sublime. This means that we must look to Christ on on the throne and say, All hail, Redeemer, hail, for Thou hast died for me. Thy praise shall never, never fail throughout eternity. We look to the, cro- to the throne. We look to heaven. We look to the one who sits on that throne. And we can thunder out a loud amen. Amen. Our King reigns. And so we pledge our allegiance to Him. Our highest allegiance, our humblest devotion, our unfettered praise belongs to Him. May the Lord bless His word to us as it searches us and tries us and challenges us and strengthens us. The ushers are going to come as we draw near to a close, they're going to come and distribute the communion elements. And as they do that, the worship team is going to come as well and help us to affirm in song some of the things that we have amen together this afternoon. If you have pledged your highest allegiance to Jesus Christ, hear that again if you have pledged your highest allegiance to Jesus Christ, if you have been baptized and joined to a church in obedience to Jesus Christ and to express your allegiance to Him, then the communion meal is for you. I'm going to ask the ushers if they would please distribute it now. As you receive the bread and the cup, give thanks. All hail, Redeemer, hail. For thou hast died for me. Thy praise shall never, ever fail throughout eternity. Let's sing together even as we receive these elements. You can stand, you can sit, whatever you choose to do. But let us worship King Jesus.